0: sickle, bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Welcome to my study. Please uh, come in and ha- have a seat. All the books surrounding you are those uh, used to research our show. And the individual here to my right, uh, along with uh, managing the uh, household duties, serves as our reader for any uh, passages that will be directly quoted from the sources. Uh, her name is uh, Mrs. Carswell. Hello. I hope all our listeners are enjoying the uh, approach of the holidays. Um, we've hung the garlands in the hall and have a nice roaring fire going here in the study and Mrs. Carswell has been baking cookies. Using our own honey. From your family's hives you mean? I thought the hives here would take several months. No they're
1: not ready but mother sent honey. I can still call it our honey since the bees are related. It's all the same line same family.
0: Well they're Excellent cookies, and I'm, I'm sure the honey that was used served the recipe quite well. The
1: recipe was from Mr. Reidenauer, medieval German Leibkuchen.
0: Well, uh, early modern, actually. The cookbook's from 1553. It's uh, Das Kochbuch der Sabine Welserin. Uh, it's the basis of the uh, famous Nuremberg Leibkuchen. You know, the uh, forest around Nuremberg was once called the bee garden of the Holy Roman Empire. I thought with the emphasis on honey... That
1: yes, it used plenty of honey, but it was an odd way to make
0: them. It did call for some guessing when it came to the uh, measures, but I think they turned out well.
1: People enjoyed them, for the oh. most part.
0: I thought they were quite tasty. And they disappeared quickly enough.
1: People took them.
0: Uh, so, we chose to publicly distribute the cookies we're talking about, uh, since we uh, didn't give away the gift baskets uh, this year.
1: Not after what happened to my brother. The assault.
0: Yes, we avoided that uh, homeless encampment, and instead Mrs. Carswell suggested we distribute cookies around the neighborhood. Didn't you make several dozen cookies? I mean, they disappeared in an afternoon. That must have been fairly well-received.
1: People didn't know what they were. And when I told them, they were medieval.
0: Early modern. Well,
1: not everyone is interested in eating cookies out of history. Well,
0: it's the first time we've tried this. They probably didn't really know what to make of it. I mean, maybe they were confused by how you were dressed. What do you mean? I I don't know. You were wearing... Your Santa uh,
1: suit didn't fit me. I did the best I uh, could. That's
0: understandable, but perhaps all those ribbons and... Those Someone
1: and... spit out their cookie to tell the truth. Others made faces when they tried them. Well,
0: they're loss.
1: But I'll tell you what they were eager for. They had lots of questions about your house.
0: You told them you were from this house? What do you mean lots of questions about the house?
1: They had lots of ideas about it. They heard things and just wanted to know what was true. Why did
0: you tell them the cookies were from this house? They didn't have to know that. The
1: whole thing wasn't easy. But you wanted me to do it, so I did. People don't want to take cookies from strangers, so you have to tell them a bit about yourself to gain their confidence. My God,
0: what did you tell them?
1: (sighs) It didn't feel good walking around with that basket and outfit. We wouldn't have had any trouble if we'd gone about this... I
0: just come to expect a disaster every time we engage in one of these charity fiascos. And then I look out the window and see you teetering down the street with ribbons flying. I knew it would go badly. I didn't expect to see you return in a police car. We though.
1: already talked about that. I told you. People don't want children taking cookies from strangers. I knew that was a problem, which is why I had to tell them about you and your house. Ugh,
0: police cars in front of the house. That's perfect fuel for gossip. You know, I was trying to put a positive spin on all this, but if you want to get back into it...
1: I don't. This is my first Christmas away from home, and I'm just trying to figure out how my brother and you manage all of this.
0: I can tell you how I manage.
1: I don't drink. It's fine if you want to.
0: I already know that. Okay, well, more dirty laundry aired. We've done that. Now, why don't we start with the folklore? It's
1: just not something we do. Just to be clear.
0: <laughs> Episode 38, Frau Perchte, the Belly Slitter. I am your host, Al Reidenour, and this show, Bone and Sickle, explores the uh, intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started this show as a way to uh, further explore this uh, area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, which we'll be pulling some material from in this episode tonight. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors, who Receive a number of monthly rewards, uh, including the aforementioned book, uh, and I'll have more on Patreon at the end of the episode. And hope you might consider making a a little holiday donation to the show as we uh, help to make your Christmas season just a bit darker.
1: in Haus herum,
0: this song, Es Tanstein Dein Biba Butzemann, or A Boogeyman Is Dancing, is a German children's song first mentioned in an 1808 collection of uh, folk poems and songs called Des Knaben Wunderhorn, the uh, boy's magic horn, um, is still sung by school kids today as part of a circle game. Uh, Jakob Grimm mentions the song in the book uh, we call Grimm's Fairy Tales, uh, which also includes a section on common uh, folkloric sayings and rhymes. In that uh, passage, he mentions an older form of the game in which the uh, player representing the Butsaman or Boogeyman, is wrapped in a white sheet and holds a broom in one hand. So, uh, why a broom? Well, uh, in that same paragraph, Grimm throws out some references to threatening, punishing characters of the uh, Advent or pre-Christmas season, such as Knecht Ruprecht or the Krampus, so that broom, we can assume, is less about cleaning house and more about swatting children. You have to remember that the uh, switches we think of as an old-fashioned instrument of discipline did double duty as, or were actually uh, primarily used as uh, small brooms, like the rustic fireplace whisks you might see today. Well, there's no hitting involved in the modern version of a boogeyman is dancing game, but the uh, boots part of the bootsenman uh, for boogeyman is believed to come from a uh, middle high German word meaning to beat. So he's the beating man. Uh, In that same paragraph where Grimm mentions this song, he gives us another saying of the Advent season used in um, Franconia and Swabia, with southern parts of Germany.
1: Silence! Iron Bertha is coming!
0: Meaning, of course, be quiet and probably be good because it's the season when this menacing character comes for naughty, noisy kids. Bertha, or more like Bertha in German, might sound a bit like Peshta, Which uh, can be spelled or was spelled in a variety of ways, uh, including with an initial B instead of the uh, P that we now use for Perste. Uh, Germany has a lot of regional variations and spelling changes over time. Iron Bertha is this very same Frau Perste, whom we're talking about in this episode. (laughs) Which brings us to a woodcut from 1750, um, one I reproduce in my Krampus book. This is uh, one of those broadsheets I've mentioned, something uh, sold at Ferris for a few pennies in the early days of printing. Uh, It was probably supposed to be something amusing for adults and perhaps uh, terrifying for children. It depicts a crone-like character with a dripping warty nose uh, who's carrying on her back a basket filled with screaming children, all girls it seems. She is standing before an open door of a house where more girls are screaming and is holding a uh, dangerous-looking pronged staff as well as a distaff, the uh, stick used to uh, hold fibers that will be spun into uh, wool or flax on the spinning wheel. At the top of the page, the title identifies her as the uh, Butzenberg. So we have that Butz again, combined with Bercht, with the B, a form of Perchter. So the uh, Perchter-Burgeyman, or woman in this case. At the bottom of the page is some rather delightful rhymed text in which the uh, Butzenperch boasts of the dreadful things she has in store for bad children. The uh, text in German is all the more charming because it rhymes, but here's an unrhymed translation to give you the idea.
1: So you shall not escape, my old broomstick, the whips and the rod with which I'll beat you, till you're red with blood. Your hands and feet I'll bind you and throw you into the mire. Set fire to your braids and hair. Scratch your face and cut your nose and rough you up quite well. All your dolls I'll toss and burn and shred your finest Sunday dress. The distaff I will fill so full of snot that it drips and runs. When I find you snoring late in bed, I'll reel your intestines out from your belly, and I'll fill the hole with wood shavings and toe.
0: Toe, by the way, uh, describes the waste fibers combed uh, from flax before spitting. So this is one of the best and oldest uh, representations of the uh, Frau Peste figure, at least in her uh, punishing guise. One that evolved in tandem with the Krampus uh, figure. So let's back up a bit and go over some of the basics of this character. Uh, first, her name. It comes from her association with Epiphany, January sixth, or the uh, last of the twelve days of Christmas. The uh, Haunted season, we discussed uh, last year in an episode by that name. Perse is a corruption of the word Geberta in the old High German term for Epiphany, Gebertonat, meaning the night of shining forth or manifestation. Uh, epiphany, by the way, refers to the day on which the infant Christ was uh, visited or discovered by the uh, Magi. It's also the day. Uh, Christ was said years later to have been baptized by St. John in the River Jordan and recognized in the process as God by the voice speaking from heaven. Uh, In either case, it was a day when uh, Christ's nature was manifested or the day he shone forth as in the Now, it's also possible Perste's name comes just from the word Geberta alone, that is, without the reference to the night or the particular day. That would allow you to interpret her name as something like The Shining One. And this is a popular interpretation some of you might have run across online because it de-emphasizes Perste's connection to the Catholic culture and promotes her more as a um, strictly pagan figure, something there's more of an appetite for among online uh, folklore enthusiasts. So, uh, lovely as this sounds, it's really speculative, as uh, none of the early texts otherwise identify Pershta as uh, shining, uh, but they do specifically portray her as tied to the Days Round Epiphany. This is a very strong connection. Now, there's another name many of you will have encountered if you've read up on uh, the Krampus or Perste, uh namely Persten, uh with an E-N at the end instead of an A. Uh, and these are something you could understand as uh, a figure very similar to the Krampus or I should say figures actually Perchten is plural the singular is Percht while the uh, first mention of Frau Perchter appears around 1200 the word Perchten is uh, not employed until centuries later in uh, 1468 there appears a reference to those who accompany uh, Frau Perchter her retinue but they don't particularly resemble Peerstin as we think of them today. At this stage in Peerstin's mythology, the company she leads is most often understood as spirits of the departed, and this belief was not something originating within the church, so it was attacked from the pulpit as a superstition, and with time, these uh, ghosts of the departed became demons, uh, something which would be closer to the horn figures we know as Perston today. In this same era, when we are seeing this myth of Perchte's eerie night-traveling horde evolve, we also began hearing of uh, masqueraders impersonating this uh, frightening mob. Uh, here, in this case, the uh, proper name Perta seems to transform into the collective species uh, Perchten. Quite possibly the uh, masker taking part in one of these early Perchten processions didn't see himself as a... Uh, demonic male follower of pershta, but as uh, pershta herself, or more accurately, as uh, one of a multiplicity of female pershtas. The tradition of men cross-dressing as female characters was, after all, part of uh, folk theater and carnival traditions already present. The very first illustration we have of Perste seems to show uh, not the figure herself, but in fact a uh, masker impersonating her. In a uh, 1411 manuscript from the South Tyrolean poet, uh, Hans Wintler, Die Blumen der Tugend, The Flowers of Virtue, various uh, superstitions are derided, including a belief in...
1: Perste with the Iron Nose
0: who is uh, pictured in the text. By the way, Pierce's long nose is uh, a characteristic feature, and uh, like the Baba Yaga, uh, this nose is often described as being made of iron. Uh, it's sometimes speculated that this image of a witch or witchy figure's nose, not only long but also hard like a bird's beak, Maybe related to the figure's ancient connection to the uh, classical streaks, or uh, plural stregas, uh, figures that appear in both uh, Greek and Latin texts. The streaks is a bird of ill omen, one often thought of as an owl, and one that uh, visited humans at night to feed on blood and sometimes flesh. The term came to mean something closer to witch in the uh, later classical period, and is echoed in the Italian word for witch, strega. Not only pierced his nose, but sometimes her hands, feet, and warts were described as being of iron, which uh, probably has more to do with the storyteller's eagerness to uh, make her a bit more monstrous than anything else. Uh, but uh, back to this illustration in vintler's uh, uh, Flowers of Virtue. So it's a figure with a face, uh, not only grotesque, but seemingly artificial, uh, with eyes peering out of what looks to be holes in a mask, and hands that are notably uh, bulky and claw-like as if they're gloved. All of which suggests that this idea of the Percht as a frightful figure for some costume tradition of Advent or Epiphany or Carnival likely dates back to the early 15th century. In the uh, 17th century, we have the first reports of Perchten runs from the uh, Pongau region south of Salzburg and by the 18th century, similar accounts are appearing elsewhere throughout Alpine uh, Austria. A creature that we had recognized today as a pest or a Krampus for that matter, had taken shape by the uh, 18th century. Uh, from the uh, Tyrolean town of uh, Kitzbühel, we have a uh, 1736 report complaining of late-night disturbance by...
1: Most repulsive spirits in devil masks running about the town with noisy bells.
0: The 1848 book, Bavarian Legends and Customs, describes uh, youths impersonating Iron Bertha, the, the character we found earlier mentioned by Grimm. Disguised in cow hides and horns, she goes about town, frightening certain children and rewarding others with apples, pears, and nuts. In the same volume, we hear from Oberhausen, Germany, where a um, Klaes, or a Nicholas, and uh, Perst repaired. The Perst here appears with uh, wild hair, uh, soot-blackened face, and black rags. She's identified in the same text with the same name from our woodcut from 1750 as the Butzenperst. While uh, Nicholas is performing his usual gift-giving duties, the Butzenperst uh, attacked the uh, ill-behaved, not only with switches, but also by uh, smearing them with starch from a pot she carried for the purpose. Today, when you hear of Persten running in a Perstenlauf, you would think of figures more or less identical to the Krampus as the creature has become more standardized, uh, partly as a result of, or actually an imitation of the uh, Krampus and the Krampus runs as they experience this uh, resurgence in the 20th and 21st century. Many people will tell you that the uh, Perst differs from the Krampus by virtue of sporting more than uh, two horns. But this actually doesn't really apply in certain regions with older Krampus traditions before the standardization. In those regions, the Krampus and the Perst can have actually any number of horns. So that's our look at uh, Perste and the Perchten in terms of traditions involving costumed figures uh, processing through towns or from home to home, um, with one exception, which we'll get to in a bit. Now, onto the folklore itself, the stories told about the figure, when these can have very little to do with uh, what's done by the uh, perst or person as they're roaming about in costume. Central to perst's folkloric identity is her concern that uh, certain household duties are correctly conducted, and that uh, domestic order is maintained. Now, uh, If you'll recall, in um, discussing the woodcut of the Butzenberst, I mentioned her carrying a uh, spinner's distaff. That would uh, symbolize her particular dominion over spinning, particularly the spinning of flax, which was to be completed by Twelfth Night. Should to find any unspun flax still on the distaff, or about the house. It would be uh, cut and tangled or otherwise ruined. Uh, Grimm mentions her burning the hands of lazy spinners. um, And Austrian mythologist Lotte Motz goes further, stating that Perste was said to wipe unspun flax left out on Twelfth Night with her excrement. She was very interested in having the home properly prepared for her visit, generally tidy with... uh, floors that were swept and scrubbed by the time she arrived on Twelfth Night. According to some scholars, this uh, broader attention to uh, tasks beyond spinning was a later development, appearing once uh, the centrality of spinning as the uh, primary cottage industry waned. Menial housekeeping in those days would naturally fall to young girls and unmarried women working as servants, making Perste a creature of the female sphere, which explains why our uh, Butzenperste woodcut didn't feature any male children being terrorized. All of this uh, brings us to that one other costume tradition involving the Persten that I said I would get back to. In the uh, small town of Rauwes, Austria, you'll find a bird-like creature called uh, Schnabelperste, who visits homes... uh, purportedly to inspect for tidiness in preparation for Epiphany, uh, but all the while actually mischievously causes little accidents, knocking things over and sort of causing some of the same sort of chaos a visit by the Krampus would cause. Um, Although played by males, these performers are cross-dressing as women, or bird women, I guess, wearing uh, grandmotherly uh, kerchiefs and pat skirts and sweaters and some uh, archaic uh, straw slippers that are sometimes called witches' slippers in Austria. Uh, they enter in uh, groups of four or five and make a droning, clucking sound along the way, which you can hear now. <llum> Their elongated beaks, inspired by Perste's famous nose, are made of. Uh, old uh, linen and sticks and are rigged to clap with each chirped syllable. The uh, Schnabelperchten carry brooms and wear on their backs wicker baskets, sometimes uh, fixed with large doll legs protruding lest uh, children forget that the uh, Schnabelperchten, like the Krampus, may abduct any who uh, are failing in their household duties. Now, one other prop the Schnabelperchten usually carry would be oversized uh, scissors made of wood. A reminder, no doubt, of Frau Perste's most notorious habit, that of slashing open her victims and gutting them. The uh, Schnabel oversized scissors are unique to that town's customs, but Perste is uh, frequently described uh, more generally as carrying a sickle or a knife uh, dedicated to this uh, gruesome task. <laughs> straw and snow, dirt, pebbles, uh, and assorted garbage like the uh, toe or wood shavings mentioned in the Wurzenberg example. Uh, all of these were used by Perste to stuff the uh, gory cavity she carved open. She then finished up this bit of uh, makeshift uh, taxidermy by sewing the victim shut with a needle made of iron, or in more hyperbolic stories, an iron plowshare. Another punishment associated with Perste was her tendency to stamp on those who offended her. In certain regions, it's not Perste who appears uh, as the one to frighten disobedient children on Twelfth Night, but it's the uh, Stempe or the Trempa uh, figures whose uh, names come from the German words for stamp or trample. In a medieval poem quoted in Grimm's German mythology, a child is threatened with the Stempas' wrath should he fail to eat the dinner served him. The manuscript from which Grimm worked featured an addendum retitling the poem of Persta with the long nose, uh, confirming the identity of these two characters. Although uh, undated, the poem was composed in Middle High German, which is spoken between 1050 and 1350, making this probably the earliest reference to a uh, like figure. Here's the uh, verse, unrhymed, uh, in translation from uh, the English version of uh, Grimm's German mythology, Deutsche Mythologie.
1: Now mark aright what I tell you. After Christmas the twelfth day, after the holy New Year's Day, God grant we prosper in it. When they had to the table brought all that they should eat, whatso the master would give then spake he to his men, and to his own child said, Eat fast, hard tonight. I pray that the shtemper tread you not. The child then ate from fear. He said, Father, what is this that thou the shtemper callest? Tell me if thou knowest. The father said, This tell I thee. Thou mayest well believe me. There is a thing so gruesome done, that I cannot tell it thee. For whoso forgets this, so that he eats not, or him it comes and treads him?
0: One other reason Pershta was sometimes said to slit open bellies was that she did not approve of the foods that had made their way into those bellies. She had very fixed ideas about what food should be consumed on her special night. From place to place, her requirements varied, but included uh, fried dumpling dishes, uh, herring, eggs, and especially a uh, milk porridge called perstenmilch, alternatively called Zampermilch, which uh, comes from the uh, other name for the character. Families would be expected to eat their fill of these designated foods, but to reserve some uneaten portion for uh, perste and her very hungry retinue, that is the uh, perstenmilch. Saved portions of this uh, ritual meal would either be left on a specially prepared Peshten tish, the Peshten table, or fed to the farm animals to uh, bless them with good health and fertility. For the convenience of Peshten and her companions, the offering might be left outside under a tree or high in the branches or on a rooftop where it was imagined these invisible night-flying spirits would easily uh, access it. Costumed Pershten would also visit homes and expect food in exchange for, uh, quote, bringing good luck. Their uh, requests would be a mix of threats and begging, as with uh, old uh, trick-or-treaters in Halloween's uh, rowdier days. And uh, while we're on the subject of food, Perchta, like the Krampus, was sometimes said to abduct and eat children. And one of the rhymes used to sort of shake down these householders that would be visited by these costumed uh, characters was uh, Kinder or Speck, derweil gehe ich nicht weg, which means...
1: Children or bacon, or I won't go away.
0: Feeding uh, perchte greasy foods could also save you from her iron grip, as it was said she must remove her iron glove in order to eat such things. Grimm, in his uh, Deutsche Mythologie, records another reason for these uh, greasy foods.
1: Greasy cakes are baked that day, and the workmen say you must grease your stomach well with them, so that Dame Perste's knife may glance off.
0: Porridge left overnight for Perste and her entourage, even if apparently untouched, was said to have been miraculously drained and, even more miraculously, refilled to the same level. How the bowl was found the next day could also serve as an oracle for the coming year, as in this account from Gruna, Austria, published in 1900
1: one should leave half of the milk porridge and leave the spoon stuck in it or lying on the edge of the bowl so that both ends hang free. Then, around midnight, Pershta with her host of children who have died unbaptized will come to eat the porridge. And if you hear their slurping, you know the house is blessed for the entire year. The following morning, if the spoon you left is moved, you have misfortunes to fear in the coming year. If your spoon has fallen into the bowl, the next year will bring your death. Death, 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 death.
0: Now, I often mention early milestones in development of this mythology as I do with the Krampus because I've heard many claims uh, of these traditions reaching to the Iron Age and so forth, which are misleading. But we do have a mention of Perste, which is probably the very earliest, in a uh, tract entitled The Mirror of Conscience, which describes the custom of leaving this food offering for Perste, condemning those who...
1: On this night of epiphany, leave food and drink upon their table, so that all shall smile upon them over the coming year, and good luck will grace them in all things, therefore also sinning or they who offer food to Pershta.
0: And again, in 1468, in the Bavarian Thesaurus Poporum, we find a condemnation of the...
1: Idolatrous superstition of those who left food and drink at night in open view for Bundia and Satya, or, as the people said, Frau Persht and her retinue, hoping thereby to gain abundance and riches.
0: The idea of ghostly beings consuming food left out is also found further west in Switzerland. There, the folkloric cousins to uh, Peerst's company were known as the Blessed Ones, or the Seligen Lüt. In an account written around 1600 by Renward Susat, a uh, city clerk of Lucerne, They are described as the
1: souls of people who died in violent or premature deaths who must wander the earth until the day that fate has fixed for their passing these folk are friendly and kind and enter the homes of those who speak well of them at night cook eat and then leave again but the amount of food does not diminish
0: Elsewhere, Susat quotes a peasant woman speaking of the Blessed Ones, as she makes clear that these spirits share a concern for domestic order. Susat writes,
1: She says that these folk that roam the night become irritated when the kitchen has been left untidy.
0: All of this talk of leaving food out for the uh, mysterious night visitor of the season, always reminds me of uh, modern American uh, food offerings left out on Christmas Eve, and makes you wonder. Let's make cookies for Santa Claus. Santa Claus. He's coming soon. Don't forget the Nestle Toll House morsels. Santa! The dead who accompany Persta and consume these offerings are, in many tales, described as the spirits of children who have not received baptism. These spirits bear the curious name Heimchen. This word can translate as cricket and is used to describe a shy or retiring individual, especially a young female. Whether this uh, evocation of diminutive, nocturnal or evasive beings is um, etymologically related or is intended is uncertain. The relationship of these unbaptized babies to the uh, old lady Perste Grimm describes rather neatly.
1: As the Christian God has not made them his, they fall to the old heathen one.
0: The Heimchen figure into many stories told about Frau Perste. In one of the best known, a peasant out late one Epiphany Eve encounters Perste's entourage and notices a particularly small child repeatedly tripping on the tails of an overlarge shirt. The kindly peasant cries out,
1: Oh, you poor ragamuffin,
0: and binds up the troublesome shirt. The Heimchen thanks the peasant for addressing him by name. In calling the child ragamuffin, the stranger has christened the child with a sort of name, a de facto baptism that frees his soul from nocturnal wandering. Here's another story of Perste and the Heimchen from uh, Grimm's uh, Deutsche Mythologie.
1: On Perste's eve, the ferryman at Allstar Village received notice to be ready late in the night, and when he came to Zala Bank, his eyes beheld a tall, stately dame surrounded by weeping children and demanding to be ferried over. She stepped onto the craft. The little ones dragged a plough and a number of other tools in, loudly lamenting that they had to leave their lovely region. Arriving at the other side, Perstrup bade the boatman cross once more, and fetch the heimschen that had been left behind, which, under compulsion, he did. She, in the meantime, had been mending the plough. She pointed to the woodchips and sent to the ferryman, There, take that to reward thy trouble. Grumbling, he pocketed three of the woodchips, and at home flung them onto the window-shelf, and himself, ill at ease, onto the bed. In the morning, three gold pieces lay where he had thrown the chips.
0: And one more tale of Pierste and the Heimchen from uh, Grimm's collection.
1: A young woman had lost her only child. She wept continually and could not be comforted. She ran out to the graveyard every night and wailed so that the stones might have pitied her the night before twelfth day, she saw Pershta sweep past not far off. Behind all the other children, she noticed a little one with its shirt soaked quite through, carrying a jug of water in its hand, and so weary that it could not keep up with the rest. It stood still in trouble before a fence, over which Pershta strode, and the children scrambled. At that moment... The mother recognized her own child, came running up and lifted it over the fence. While she had it in her arms, the child spoke. Oh, how warm a mother's hands are! But do not cry so much, else you cry, my jug, too full and heavy, see. I have already spilt it all over my shirt. From that night, the mother ceased to weep.
0: Other folklore of the Heimchen have them uh, visibly manifested as uh, will o the wisps, the uh, ghost lights which appear particularly over swamps and are said to lure uh, wanderers from footpaths. Usually consisting of unbaptized innocents, the company of Perste may include others somehow misplaced by fate, in particular those who have died before their time, destined to wander until their appointed hour, These wards of Pershta, who failed to attain their allotted days, were later joined by others the church found somehow worthy of neither heaven nor hell. These lost souls included suicides, those slain by arms, and later, witches and wizards. The ghostly followers of Pershta over time, therefore, came to be regarded as no longer merely eerie, but increasingly malevolent. One final observation about this Frau Perste character before we wrap up this episode. If you'll recall, Perste uh, in certain areas goes by the name Stempa, as she's known for stamping on naughty children. So this vengeful foot she seems to possess has led to her being described as having large feet, or more often, a single large foot. Grimm suggests this may recall Piast's relationship to spinning and the uh, heavy foot of the spinner constantly upon the treadle. He also explains the uh, mismatched foot as an archetypal signifier of a supernatural being as with the uh, devil's uh, cloven hooves or single hoof. This uh, physical marker seems to have been transferred to the Krampus as well and is uh, particularly uh, prevalent in those 19th and early 20th century Krampus postcards. Showing the creature with one human foot and one hoof. Grimm also points out that Perste has been conflated with the 8th century Frankish queen Betrada of Lomme, the uh, mother of Charlemagne, known as Bertha Broadfoot, thanks to Arne Laura's uh, 13th century poem, aux Grand Pied, or uh, Bertha with Large Foot. Oddly, Laurent does not make clear the significance of the large foot, which she also refers to as a goose foot. From this evolved a French fairy figure, Queen Piedrois, or a goose foot. Like Perste, she's associated with spinning. Piedrois is often presented as telling stories while she spins, thereby also relating her, and by extension, Frau Perste, to dear old Mother Goose.
1: Oh, I'm- Mother Goose and I
0: oh, I'm
1: here to Mother say school so i Mother Goose. There was an old woman who tossed in a basket. Mother Goose, old oh, Mother Goose. Mother Goose had a house, was built in the room. Mother Goose is gonna read us a story. Mother Goose had a house, She carried a the room.
0: everyone's been enjoying our show and that you uh, might have the opportunity to share episodes with friends who might enjoy it we particularly appreciate reviews as these are the best way to raise the show's profile on Apple Podcasts and other outlets if you've left a review by all means let us know and we'll give you a little shout out our website boneandsickle.com provides links to our Facebook group Twitter and Instagram along with show notes with plenty of images and video and links to uh, film trailers and music used in the program Music and sound design otherwise are all original for this show. You can also find our donor link on the site. Patreon members have a choice of rewards, including exclusive access to extra elements that go into the making of the podcast, uh, digital downloads of rare books used in the preparation of the show, the show soundscapes you hear in the background, my Krampus book, and a special handcrafted mystery kit mailed to our top-level donors. Donation levels begin at $1 a month, and your support via Patreon is the sole support that pays for the more than 100 hours of work that goes into each episode. The show is written and produced by me, Al Ridenour. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects in writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.